feel like I need a cardigan and sit down and take off my shoes or put them on, whatever he used to do. <laughs> Told the first service, if you don't recognize that tune, please have a conversation with your parents. You're missing out on something from your childhood that is just a wonderful blessing. And, uh, and Mr. Rogers will, uh, hey, if it's your first time joining us or maybe it's been a long time, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here. And we are so excited that you're with us today. Um, I don't know what the weather's like right now, but when I walked outside at 6.30 this morning, it was wonderful. Uh, praise God that when I look at the forecast this week, there's no eights or nines in the numbers, uh, at least on the front end. Um, and fall is here on Tuesday. I mean, how, how could you be upset at that? For anyone that is angry that it was cold this morning, I rebuke you right now. Um, there's a reason my wife and I are from here and we were in Florida for, you know, I think two days too long, you know, uh, it is, it's good to be in a place that has four seasons and, um, and it is just time because football starts this week. If you didn't realize, um, for those of us who, uh, our favorite team is in the SEC, uh, for all of you, uh, big 10 fans, I don't know. I'm glad you're at least, you know, making it to the table. And then I think there's some other teams that have been playing past few weeks, but we really, I don't know. Um, anyways, I'm just kidding. If you wore orange this morning, if you're a Clemson fan, you're welcome here. Uh, I, I feel like before I get in and get spiritual, I'm going to step away so that I don't get in trouble. Uh, my wife is a Clemson fan, so if this is your first time here, the Lord ordained us to pastor in the state of South Carolina because we're just fair and balanced. And uh, and but I just get the mic on Sundays a lot of times, and then she'll speak in a few weeks and redeem everything that I've messed up. So it's wonderful. If you're a lady in the house, um, please mark your calendar. This Saturday uh, is I said last service. You know, COVID has taken a lot of things. It's inconvenienced a lot of things. But one of the best things that it has done for us, it has taken things that we would have had to send people away to a conference uh, to hear and be a part of. It has made those resources available. And so there's a great conference that was it happened. It just happened digitally. And so we, uh, we as a church have been able to acquire those resources. And so it's going to be like a conference in three hours on Saturday morning, refreshments, sessions, and girl time. There we go. Last service, I said, I really don't know the details. You should be here. Uh, and so I got details in between services. So that's great. Uh, if you need child care, it is uh, available. Just make sure you register. Um, I know that you normally don't register for sisterhood, but this is a great opportunity to change your behavior. Register greenwellfirst.church slash sisterhood, uh, and you can do that. Um, before we get into today's message, uh, here's one of the things I love about our church is we have a generous church. Uh, a church that believes in giving. And so today we are celebrating with two churches that we are helping to plant. Uh, one is Vivid Church. Pastor Alan Kendrick spoke here uh, in August and him and his wife Amanda Brittany and I were actually in Columbia till late last night. They had a friends and family service and we dedicated their brand new building. Uh, they were planting in a, a middle school and uh, about eight weeks ago found out they're not planting in a middle school and so God opened a door uh, and I'm telling you it is just a miracle of the faithfulness uh, of, of people just saying yes to the call of God uh, to be a part 
heart. And so if you know people in the Lexington community, they don't have a church. There's one that we've helped plant there, Vivid Church. And then also uh, Andrew Bullard, who grew up in, in this church, who's uh, actually family to us, uh, is, is planting uh, Radiant Church in Seneca, in the Clemson area. We know they need Jesus. And so uh, we are just excited what God's doing around our state. And that's because of your faithfulness. And I promise I'll uh, become spiritual now. Um, and so if you're a Clemson fan, it's just, it, here's the thing. I know that we're going to lose a lot of games this season. So this is just like my one Sunday. I have to get it all out and then I'll be in a time of mourning for the next 10 weeks or 12 weeks or whatever. And it's grateful we don't play the Tigers and it's just better that way. <laughs> I used to play Georgia and LSU and Auburn loss, loss, loss. It's good. Lord, I don't know what you're teaching me, but promise I'll learn this year. <laughs> well, hey, we're continuing our series called Neighborliness. If you're here last week, uh, Dr. David Dukeson, uh, he authored a book called Neighborliness that is kind of the inspiration to our series. If you didn't get your copy last week, I know that we said last week is the only week we're giving them away for free. Just go negotiate with the people at the uh, Resource Center, and I'm sure they'll catch you a good deal. Uh, maybe slide you a free copy underneath the table. Um, but this is a great book. Uh, that Brittany and I both read, and, and David is a good friend of ours. Um, but this book isn't just addressing the issues of race and economic injustice. It's his journey to recognize that we have a responsibility in the kingdom of God to love our neighbor in a better way. We should love more, which just happens to be our theme that God gave us for this house, for this church, uh, this year. And so we are just opening up this conversation to say, how do we become a better neighbor? What does that look like in our community? So I do want to kind of get some things right because the moment we hear the term racial injustice or economic injustice, many of us, we just hit mute or we turn the volume down. And maybe it's because we look at our life and we say, Pastor, I really don't struggle with that. It's not an issue for me. And so why are you talking about that in church? Well, I believe that there's, and we're going to dive into it, we probably do have some things we need to look at. And if we're going to be the church that Jesus gave his life for, because he didn't give his life so that a church would just feel comfortable on Sunday mornings and gather. He gave his life so that we could be the light to the world, which means that we've got to engage some tough conversations at times. And we've got to expose things that may have set into our society that we maybe weren't even a part of the cause, but we can be a part of the solution, praise God. So this series isn't about racism. It's a series about learning to love our neighbor. It's not a series about social justice. It's a series about biblical justice. And what does that look like through the lens of Scripture? But this is also not a series that is intended to make you feel good, but it is a series that's intended to challenge your thoughts and hearts. That's all I pray, is that God, if there is anything that we have been missing, would you expose it? Let us be your hands and feet. So there's a, a, a Christian pastor uh, out there. His, well, now he's just like a leadership guru, but uh, his name is Kerry Newhoff. And, uh, and Carrie, if you like Christian leadership, church leadership, it's a great blog to subscribe to. And I get his little nuggets all the time. And he's just, you know, whatever, writing, writing, writing. Um, but he wrote this article this past week, and it talked about the balance of evangelism and discipleship for the church. 
I'm like, oh, this is a good read. I'm going to read this. And the opening statement just kind of like punched me in the gut. And I, I, I want to read you just, just a few words that he wrote. And he said this, we have a lot of Christians that are 3,000 verses overweight. We have a lot of Christians that have become puffed up on scripture. But as Paul put it, knowledge puffs up. Love, by contrast, builds up. This series is not intended to increase your knowledge and awareness, but this series is intended to increase your capacity and your desire to love more. Because it's not about us knowing. We can know everything in the scripture, but if we're not putting it into practice, we've missed the whole point. And we have diminished Christ's sacrifice for us so that we just have a place that we can come and sing some songs and feel better about ourselves. Which, by the way, Pastor Zach, incredible time of worship today. Um, I love that new song that, what was that, Ancient Days? That's a... Uh, Hey, if you grew up in the church, I remember Ron Canoli. If you don't know, now you know. Just look it up. It's great. But uh, anyways, I was talking to another pastor friend of mine uh, this week who he had uh, David Dukeson in a couple of months ago. And I just asked him, I said, hey, you know, is your church surviving as you kind of opened up this conversation about race and how, how do we address and love our community? And, um, and he said, Josh, you know, and, and, and Jason and I have known each other a long time. And he said, here's what I've discovered. The longer I pastor, the extremes are real easy for us to find our place. But the middle is where it is really messy. And I just want you to think about for a moment, because when he said this, I just began to process. It's, and, and, and church, you know this. I don't have to educate you on this. There are extremes when we talk about anything that's going on in our society, whether it's the political climate, whether it's injustice in our world. There are extremes on both ends. It is easier for us to find ourselves on an extreme than it is to find ourselves in the middle. Because the middle causes us to have to engage with other people who may not think like us, believe like us, look like us, and it causes a conversation to take place because you, you can't stay in the middle and get anywhere unless you learn to work together. And church, that, that's my desire. I know it may be messy in the middle, but that we would find ourselves not drifting to an extreme of one way or the other, because that's the easy place. That's the place I believe actually creates a greater divide than saying, Lord, unify our hearts. May we see and love the way that you do. You know, I, I look back to the time that Jesus was on this earth and Jesus walked the earth during a time of conflict. I think sometimes, you know, when I hear it, oh, the world's just getting so much worse and so much worse. And it is in some regards, but there's also nothing new under the sun. There were racial tensions when Jesus was walking the earth. All it takes is a little bit of study to open our, our, our eyes and realize that a lot of the same things we're dealing with today, yeah, it looked a little different. But it was the same waters that Jesus was navigating. 
And here's what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't back up. He actually engaged. If you look at the parables and how Jesus taught, he was, he was flipping culture upside down. Even the disciples thought that he came to, to reign in a political sense. But it was so much more than that. And in the same way, I think sometimes we can miss an opportunity to follow in the footsteps of Jesus to say, yes, culture may be you know, going to hell in a handbasket, but praise God, we know who wins in the end. And we can be a part of this. And we can say, you know what? This may be what the news station says, or this may be what this expert says, but I know one who knows all the details. I know one who can transcend whatever report may be given. He's greater and bigger than. So I want us to turn to Luke chapter 10 today as we dive into Scripture. And we're going to pick up in verse 25 through 29 this morning, which was our text actually for our theme this year, Love More. And we find this, and so it's just a conversation between an expert in the law and Jesus. And it says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Jesus replies, what is written in the law? Have you read it? Or how do you read it? Sorry. He knows he's an expert in the law. And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's that connection we talked about last week. Love God with full passion, love our neighbor. Jesus replies, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus, if you're familiar with this passage, he goes on to actually begin to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. This guy, he's going on his way. He's walking along the road. Robbers hop out. They beat him. They leave him for dead. And what do we see? We see two religious leaders pass by, and they keep on going on their way. And then we see a Samaritan. Now, he's talking to Jews here. And the Samaritans were people that they didn't like, didn't care for. They were the enemy. Racial tensions right here. And what happens? The Samaritan, he, he picks him up, he takes him to the inn, he pays all of his bills, takes care of everything, loves extravagantly. And then we pick up in verse 36, because Jesus, he asks a question back. And he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, today's title of the message is, Who is My Neighbor? This is the question that was asked. And I've read this passage. I've heard this story so many times in my life. And when I was processing and studying and reading back through, it, it was glaring me in the eyes. And I actually shifted directions for the message today. Because I'm like, who is my neighbor? This is great. We find this in scripture. The question's asked. And then I'm reading Jesus's response. And he does not give the answer that the lawyer is looking for here. He asks him a question. Who do you think was a neighbor? 
So he moves this. The, the lawyer is asking for this definition of who is my neighbor. And Jesus says, who is acting like the neighbor? And I think that's the question that we have got to start with. And that is an internal question. It's not who is my neighbor, but am I a neighbor? Because it's got to be an internal examination. And that's the first point as we try to explore this question today, who is my neighbor? We have to look inward toward our heart. The slogan, like a good neighbor. That's good. Come on, y'all are at the 11 o'clock. You know, you got to wake up a little bit. 9 a.m. was like interrupting me. They were singing it and wake. Mr. Rogers, won't you be my neighbor? We hear the song and it evokes an emotion in us. If you know who Mr. Rogers is, if you watch the show, why? Because Mr. Rogers is one of the most glowing examples of what it looks like to embody a neighbor. There is a positive response. Why? Because when we show love and we show mercy, it is the true definition of what it looks like to be a neighbor. And that is only going to begin when we look internally. When we begin to love and, and show mercy regardless of economic background, regardless of skin color, regardless of country of origin, regardless of family dynamics, regardless of education, regardless of job type, employed, unemployed, white collar, blue collar, it doesn't matter. We can show love regardless. Now, a few years back, I was shopping for a Jeep. I wanted to get a new vehicle. And, um, and I just knew, like, I want to get a Jeep. And Brittany told me, she said, well, if you get a Jeep, it's got to be four doors. We were talking about kids. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. I want a soft top, black Jeep, four door. I did not realize how many Jeeps were on the road until I started looking for one. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that before? Maybe it's your first car and whatever that first car is, every time you, you see everyone on the road. If you're dad in the room, you're probably telling your kids, back in my day when I drove that little whatever. You see them. But why doesn't everybody else see it? Because maybe they haven't focused their attention on that. Here's what I know. There's oftentimes things in our life that we miss until we start looking for them. There's a couple of concepts that uh, Dr. Dukeson talks about in his book that I think helps us when we are recognizing this inward look. And the first is inattentional blindness. It's a real concept. These aren't made up concepts. Inattentional blindness. It's the psychological phenomenon that causes you to miss things that are right in front of your eyes. We begin to focus on the things we need to see and we cast the things aside that our brain has determined are not necessary. So when it comes to shopping for a vehicle, those vehicles have always been on the road. But why do we begin to see them now? Because our attention has become focused and our eyes become open to what's already right there. I think sometimes when we talk about injustice, we begin to, to mute the sound when people talk about it or we hear about it. A lot of it because it's just been static noise in our life for the past six months. But a lot of us look and we say, well, pastor, I don't have an issue with that. 
Because we feel like if we admit we have an issue with that, then we're admitting to being hateful or being evil. And I don't think it's that at all. There are evil and hateful people out there, okay? Don't hear me wrong. But I think for the most of us, we would fall into this place of being guilty of inattentional blindness. We don't see the needs in our community because we haven't needed to see the needs in our community. Or we haven't focused and said, God, open my eyes to see the needs in our community. It's not birthed out of hate, birthed out of evil desire. It's just we're not looking for it. And my prayer is that as we begin to look inward at our heart, we begin to see the need in our community. We begin to see the brokenness in our community. We begin to see the inequality, the marginalization in our community and say, Jesus, how can I be a part of this? And it takes an inward look. But here's what happens, and we talked about this last week. If God's greatest plan and greatest commandment for our life is to love God and to love our neighbor, and the enemy's greatest strategy is to divide us and distract us, we have got to begin to inwardly look and say, God, where have I missed it? Are my eyes shut off to things that I need to see and need to be aware of? so that I can show love. Now here's the deal, once we see it, we have two options. We either choose to engage it, I bought the Jeep, or we ignore it. Now a few weeks ago I was talking about gossip and I had a bag of M&Ms up here and I can't tell you how many text messages I got of people purchasing M&Ms. True story. Because I had a bag of M&Ms up here and we began to talk about how gossip is like these morsels. And I began to, to, to illustrate peanut M&Ms being just like gossip. People began to see M&Ms and could not resist. My prayer for our church is that we would begin to see needs, not just M&Ms, and wake up that it's right in front of us. I don't think the church has to organize outreach days for us to love our community and be the neighbors God called us to be. You know why the church doesn't have to do it? Because you're the church. Nothing's stopping you from loving your neighbor today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and on into next week. But when we suffer from this inattentional blindness, it's a lot easier for our conscience just to not see it. And it may not be birthed out of this evil, but it doesn't mean that Satan is not using that to keep us from loving our neighbor the way God intends for us to love our neighbor. Now, the second challenge and the second thing that Dr. Dukeson talks about in his book when it comes to our internal heart is implicit bias. Some of you may be familiar with this term. It refers to the attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, actions, and decisions in an unconscious manner. We all have them. Every one of us has implicit bias. You may just not know what yours is. But if you grew up in a home where anybody, any group of people was referred to as those people, you have implicit bias. If every time you see someone that's holding a sign, we'll work for food in need, and you begin to think, well, all they're going to do is use my money to go buy drugs and alcohol, implicit bias. 
Church, this is real for all of us. And the only way we're going to break it is to recognize it, to look inward and say, I've got to do something about this. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you to meet a need of someone on a street corner or someone in a neighborhood or someone in the house next door or a coworker, and you begin to think of all the reasons why you shouldn't help them, you've got some implicit bias that needs to be broken because the enemy will use that implicit bias to keep you from being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's not our responsibility of what people do with our resources or what people do when we love and care and show mercy to them. It's our responsibility just to say yes. But we've got to begin to look at our heart before we can engage the way that God intends. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I've heard this scripture a lot throughout my life. Dr. Dukasen even talked about it briefly last week. But here's the full scope of when the psalmist begins to pin these words. Search me, O Lord. Let me tell you what the previous scriptures were. It was God destroy all of these sinful people who are doing wrong. Kill them off. I mean, it's, if you, you want to just have some comical reading, just read through the book of Psalms. I mean, it is an emotional roller coaster. But here's what happens. The psalmist is writing these things. God, kill off the sinful. Get rid of them. And then he recognizes, I'm just as sinful as they are. Lord, search my heart. Because here's what I think is happening in our society right now. And I'm, and I'm not painting this as a picture of our church. But here's what happens. We get caught up more in the, well, they have this agenda. And they have this agenda. And they stand for this or against this or whatever. And we are missing the opportunity to be a part of the solution. I'm not telling you to go join some organization or do this or that. I'm just telling you, have you looked inward to say, God, search my heart. And if I'm missing it, break my heart, open my eyes, and let me do something about it. And if you find that you've got a clean heart and clean hands, praise God, then your next step is what are you doing about it? But if there is any ill will, if there is any implicit bias that is keeping you from being the neighbor that God created you to be, then do something about it. And it starts with this inward search of our heart. The middle is messy. The middle is messy when we begin to say, God, I open my heart to you, the deepest, darkest places that I really don't want anybody to see, but as the creator of my life and the universe, search me and show me. Dr. Dukasen says in his book, I've seen that it is easy to dismiss the story of someone that is different than me up until the point that person has become my friend. See, I believe this inward look we began to say, God, where have I missed it? And I began to, to, to stretch my hands out and say, hey, I, I want to befriend people who may not look like me, who may not think like me, who may not act like me. And I want to engage in friendship and relationship. That's when our heart begins to shift. See, I believe an inward look is the first step in becoming the neighbor Jesus wants you to be. And my prayer is twofold. God, search me, and God, forgive me. Because, church, we've all missed it. It doesn't matter the color of our skin this morning. We've missed it. It doesn't matter our economic background. We've missed it. It doesn't matter our job status. We've missed it. 
God, forgive us. And now let's live the life that he intended. The second step in answering this question, who is my neighbor, is we have to look upward toward God. John 13, 34 says this, a new command I give you, love one another, is I have loved you, so you must love one another. And Jesus modeled this love for us all through scripture. Jesus wasn't just talking about how we should love, he showed us how we should love. We find it all throughout the miracles and so many times we just skip by them. We just read, hey, wow, son of God, he, he performed a miracle here. But if you really get to the root and understand what was happening, he healed lepers that nobody else would touch. He healed the, the woman with the issue of blood. Yes, she reached out and grabbed the hem of his garment, but he was inconvenienced in that moment. And she would have been ceremonially unclean. Yet a miracle happened. Then we even find him engaging with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. There's so many things wrong culturally with this picture. He's engaging in conversation with a woman, and she's a Samaritan. The disciples are like, what is going on? But what do we see happen? He talks about coming and drink of the well, that you will no longer be thirsty. He confronts her with her sin and she decides to make a life change. And what do we find happen? The city was saved. And Jesus was confronting things that made people uncomfortable, that nobody really wanted to engage and talk about, but he was showing us how to love. Now, church, I believe this. The neighbor we're called to love is often not one we choose, but one God chooses for us. And even further, it's so often the one that we would not have chosen if it wasn't for God. The people that God begins to put in our life that we may just be blind to the fact that they're in our life, but God put them there for a reason if we'll just open our eyes. We naturally friend people who look like us, think like us, have the same interest as us. This is, this is normal life. Look at your circle of friends. I mean, I, I, I'm probably not going to, you know, search out somebody who is extremely artistic and all they want to do is go to the park and paint every Saturday. And if that's you, I, I mean no offense by that. That's just not what I'm doing with my Saturday. So that's not naturally going to be the person I spend time with. I'm going to spend time with people who have my like interest and, and we like talking about the same thing. So conversation's not all. This is the normal way of life. But if we just stay in those circles, we miss the opportunity to be the neighbor that God's called us to be. We just get real comfortable in our circles. We get real comfortable in our relationships. And I believe that, that we have got to engage the things that may have divided us for so long to say, God, how can, how can we be a part of unifying and showing love and being the neighbors that you want us to be? 1 John 4, 8 says this, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Church, I think this is more than just a, a, a racial issue or economic injustice issue. It, how, are you loving, how, are, how are you loving your employees? How are you loving the people that work for you during the week? How are you loving your coworkers? How are you loving your supervisors? How are you loving your spouse? How are you loving your kids? How are you loving your family? 
Sometimes the dividing lines aren't way across town. Sometimes the dividing lines are even in our own households. But what are we doing to be the neighbor that God wants us to be? And here's my prayer here. God, show me how to love and God, show me where to love. Just this past week, a guy in our church, he called me and said, hey, pastor, you know, we were going to lunch on Wednesday. And he said, will you wear some, some tennis shoes? Got a surprise for you. Who wants to take that challenge? I'm thinking, are we going on a hike in the middle of the day? Like, Lord, help me. But here's what happened. We went out for lunch, and he said, Pastor, I want to show you something, because after last week, the Lord just began to stir his heart, and he drove me to a neighborhood here in Greenville. He began to look out, and he began to talk about all the, all the issues that are facing that neighborhood. He said, Pastor, I, I just don't believe that I, I can wait any longer. This was Wednesday, he said, but since Sunday, I've driven here every single day, and I'm just praying for this community. Because here's what I know, church. The more we begin to love God, the outflow of our heart cannot be contained. A lot of times, it's not even that we just aren't practicing. It's, it's we've stopped looking to God and asking him, how can we love and how should we love? And so we just stop doing it. But if we begin to ask these questions, God will begin to show us. We don't have, and, and it's great, and, and we're actually in the process of looking and saying, how are we going to engage our community? Because that's a question we've got to answer. But it starts with people just saying, God, break my heart. This community's 10 minutes, 10 minute drive at tops from here, of where the reputation is churches parachute in and they, parachute in and they just run out. There's never been any sustainable help in this community. That's what we're talking about. I'm not talking about one big reach day that's going to solve the city's problems. I'm talking about a constant pursuit to God. How can I be the neighbor that scripture tells me I need to be? How do I love you and how do I love others? See, as we look inward, as we look to God, it leads us to the third point, And it's this, look outward towards each other. That's the practical. You want to, you want to, you want to do this? You look inward. God, search my heart. God, show me how to love and where to love. And now put boots on the ground. Look outward towards each other. David says in the book, he said, we love our neighbor when we no longer think of our differences as an obstacle, but rather as an illuminating light. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9 says this, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. The blessings of loving each other truly with no, no conditions, no boundaries, no divide, it is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's the way God intended for our life to be. But church, we can't miss it. We can't point and say, well, they're standing for this or they're standing for that because it's, it's a lot easier to stand on the wings on the extremes than it is to say, you know what? There's probably some truth here. There's probably some truth here. Can we just follow what Jesus would ask us to do? Let's stop trying to paint it as this side or that side. And I'm not talking about left or right. And I'm not, Church, don't walk out of here. And pastor told me to be an independent. <laughs> if, that's, if that's where the Lord leads you, then let the Lord lead you. 
What I'm saying is we can get caught up in, in, in well, I don't, I, I don't agree with everything they are on this side, or I don't agree with everything they are on this side. You know what? There's truth to that. That's why the middle is messy. And the middle is a safe place for us to have conversations and say, hey, we may disagree on this. There's some things, as, as, as David and I were talking, we probably disagree and don't see eye to eye on everything. But you know what? They are seeing the work of the Lord in the neighborhoods in Charlotte. And I, my heart just begins to break and say, how can we be known just for building bridges into our community with no strings attached? You want to see a church that, that we're having to turn people away because we can't contain them? It's because we love just like Jesus did. That's when revival takes place because people don't understand it. Because it's not logical. It doesn't make sense but it's what Jesus gave his life for. So ask this question, who is my neighbor? But really that begins to ask the question, am I a neighbor to others? Am I being the neighbor that God talks about? Because if I'm being the neighbor, God will show you who your neighbors are. He will reveal it to you. And you know what? It may be your physical neighbor. It may be the, the person that you've been avoiding when you walk down Main Street in Greenville and God pricks your heart and says, hey, I want you to just stop, provide for their need and pray with them in this moment. Whew. Those are the moments I'm like, babe, did you say something? I mean, let's just be honest. Those are not the comfortable moments that we all pray and desire for, but what would happen if we begin to embrace them? The revival of unity that we talked about last week, that's what... That's when it gets hands and feet. It begins to be mobilized. Because that's what God has called us to do. Ask yourself this question. Have I shown mercy? Have I shown compassion? Have I stopped to listen? Jesus said, go and do likewise. Show mercy. Show love. It starts to look inward. Look and ask God, what can I do? How can I love? Who should I love? And then we look outward to those around us, the neighbors that God has put into our life. But it's hard to do that if we haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, because I think it's a byproduct. We are able to love and engage with our neighbors the way we're supposed to when we begin to love God the way that he intended for us to. And that starts with us making a decision to follow him. So I wanna lead us in a, in a prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed. We pray this every week because we know that we gather on Sundays not just to sing some great songs and feel good about ourselves, but because eternity matters. And I just want to invite everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, forgive me. Become Lord of my life. Help me to follow you. Help me to love you. Help me to love others. In Jesus' name.